Welcome back, and thank you for returning this evening. Those of you that returned, we have a few that were not here this morning, but uh, glad you're here too. Uh, what we do on Sunday night is hopefully dig a little bit deeper than we're able to on Sunday mornings, and we uh, study a textual uh, a book sometimes, and sometimes some topics. This year we're working again on specific people in the Bible, men and women who walked by faith. And hopefully from that we can learn how to walk by faith a little bit better. So we're not just learning history, we're trying to apply all of it to our lives. Uh, the character that we're dealing with right now is Isaac, uh, who's kind of a not the most famous character in the Bible. He is in some ways, but... As far as his life, he didn't do a whole whole lot, uh, overly exciting, but there's a couple of things I think are worth talking about. So we've spent the first two weeks talking about his birth and his sacrifice uh, by his father Abraham, and then the other two bigger events in his life, I think, are number one, his wedding, uh, getting matched up with Rebecca and how that all transpired, and then the other thing is how he lived his life, what little we know about it. Uh, after his daddy died, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's, we're doing them in a little reverse order, uh, but tonight we're going to talk about how he stands <clears throat> on his own, how he uh, shows up as a man after his father Abraham, who obviously was a overwhelmingly uh, huge character in his life and the history of the Bible, so that would have been quite a deal to grow up with Abraham as your father. And we'll see how Isaac does after Abraham dies. So that's what we're tackling tonight. In chapter 25 of Genesis, Abraham dies. And we're not going to cover that, but that's to put things in perspective. Uh, that's when he dies. The chapter before that is when Isaac got married to Rebekah. And we'll cover that next week. And then after Abraham dies, there's a short summary of Jacob and Esau's lives, uh, Isaac's sons. And then uh, 26 talks about Isaac, and basically 26 is about all we have about Isaac's life. But I think there's a number of good lessons in there, and we'll tackle those tonight mainly by going kind of right through chapter 26. Um, Got to go back to 25 to start our story. Chapter 25, verse 11 says, After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Bear Lohi Roy. So God continued to bless Isaac, uh, dealt well with him. So we know that much about him. And then chapter 26 starts in and says that there was a, a famine in the land where Isaac was living. And the king of the Philistines uh, got a little out of sorts with Isaac. So we have our first instance here where we learn something about Isaac. And it starts in chapter 26 and verse 12, I think, is a good place to start. Uh, it says, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich. And his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up 
filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in this land. From there he went up to Beersheba. Okay, now, like I say, not too exciting a story. And some people read that and actually say, well, Isaac was kind of a wimp. Well, he let people push him around. He, he, he didn't fight back. He didn't stand up for himself. And you could read it that way, I guess, but I choose to read it a little more positively. Uh, I think Isaac shows himself here to be a peacekeeper. And that's the first point I put on your handouts. Uh, he was obviously powerful. He reaped a hundredfold, and then things just kept growing and kept growing, and he had the huge flocks and great uh, produce. Uh, uh, he was a wealthy, wealthy man. He could have, no doubt, waged war uh, with his servants, like his father Abraham did a few times, and uh, most everybody else in the, the Old Testament did, it seemed. Uh, but Isaac didn't. And if you read through the story... It's, it's kind of interesting. The Philistines got jealous, so they started picking on Isaac, and they started filling in the wells. Now, bear in mind, that's serious business in that day. Uh, in that country, if you dug a well and had water in it, that was, that was a pretty valuable thing. The, the most valuable thing, actually. And so they were filling them back up with dirt. And then Abimelech comes along, the king, and tells Isaac to move. Kind of rudely, actually, just said, why don't you move away? You're too powerful for us. Well, we don't like you having this much land and this much uh, control and all that, so just get out of here. Well, the next sentence was kind of humorous to me. It said, uh, uh, verse 17, so Isaac moved away. We don't know anything about him arguing or uh, standing up for himself or fighting back or anything. He just said, okay, I'll move. Uh, he moved, and then it just kept on. He got to the new place, and he started digging the wells out that his father had dug. Plus, he dug a new well, and the people in that land came and said, we want that water. Well, instead of fighting, he just said, all right. He dug another well. Well, they came and wanted that one too. So he moved again. He just says he just moved on. And dug a third well, and he had got far enough away by this time that nobody bothered him about it. And what was his conclusion? He said, now this is where the Lord wanted me to be. Now the Lord has given us room. And that seemed to be kind of his attitude. was, okay, we're in this land and they don't want us. Maybe we're not supposed to be there. So we'll move. 
And if they're going to fight about this well, I'm not going to fight about the well. I'm supposed to be somewhere else. And he just up and moved again and finally got this place where nobody bothered him. He had his well, and his conclusion was, this is the right place. A kind of a peaceful guy, isn't he? A pretty, pretty, uh, very much of a peacekeeper, it seems. Now, instead of applying that, let me just point out a couple of things. Uh, this quality of peacekeeping, which I'm attributing to Isaac, uh, is a valuable quality. That's, that's one of the qualifications for elders. Elders are not supposed to be quarrelsome. They're not supposed to be the kind of guy that first time you mess with their well, they'll jump in your face. Uh, they're supposed to be not quarrelsome. And Isaac exhibited that kind of uh, peacekeeping, unquarrelsome characteristic. The other thing I thought about this characteristic of peacekeeping, uh, since we just went through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, remember, remember the sermon about turning the other cheek and how we talked about that? And how that meant yielding, just, you know, not making a big deal out of everything. Somebody bothers you, persecutes you a little bit. Okay, put up with it, yield. No, don't give in to evil like that and fight back. Uh, so might be a pretty good characteristic that our uh, faith walker Isaac has here. Uh, and the, the last thing I thought about, where did he get that? How did he learn to do that? Anybody remember the story of Abraham and Lot? You think maybe his daddy told him about that? I think maybe his daddy told him, Now, son, one time when we first got to this land, your uncle Lot and my, my servants and his servants couldn't get along, so I told Lot to take his pick where he wanted to live. And Uncle Lot picked the best stuff. And so I moved over to the not so best stuff. We don't, we're not, that's not recorded, but in my mind at least, surely Abraham told him that. And so Isaac learned this stuff from his father, probably. He turned out to be a peacekeeper of a man. Okay. Second thing, and there's just two little verses in the midst of this, but I think they tell an excellent story. Verses 24 and 25, uh, after he got to Beersheba, uh, that night, verse 24, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Now, to get my point on this, uh, go back to verse 3 of chapter 26. This is right after Abraham has died. Isaac's on his own now. He doesn't have daddy to take care of him. He doesn't have daddy to rely on at all. And verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac and told him not to go down to Egypt, stay where he was. And verse 3, stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. Okay? Now look at verse 24. He doesn't say, I will be with you. He says, I am with you. 
this transition from Abraham being the one that God dealt with and Isaac getting blessed because he was a child of Abraham has now changed. From verse 3 to verse 24, God goes from saying, I'll be with you, to I am with you. When he started out, he was getting blessed because of his father. Now he's getting blessed because of himself. In verse 25, he built an altar. He called on the name of the Lord. Now, how I chose to list that as a characteristic of his, uh, I said he was a child of God. Not a grandchild. Um, And you've probably heard some preacher say it before, that God doesn't have any grandchildren. You got to be his child. Well, Isaac wasn't. Uh, We don't know when it changed, but at some point, everybody has to decide if they want to be a child of God or not. A lot of people say they've got some kind of relationship with God or show up at church or something like that, uh, but they're grandchildren. They're just doing what their mother or father taught them to do. They've never thought through it. They've never formed a relationship with God. They've never uh, reasoned through uh, why they ought to be a child of God of any of that. And here in these two verses, I think, I think this is a fair assessment of it, that that change took place and Isaac built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. He was now a child of God, not just doing what his daddy had taught him. From I will be with you to I am with you. There's a difference there. Now, once again, not application time yet, but a couple of things that ought to jump out at that from that to us. Uh, Young people... You teens, uh, most of you probably right now are kind of doing what your folks taught you. And you believe because your folks taught you or your Sunday school teacher taught you or you heard me say it. And you say, that's right. And if somebody asks you, why do you believe so-and-so? Well, Steve said so. Or my Sunday school teacher said so. And that's okay for a while. But at some point, you've got to think through it enough. You've got to reason through it on your own. You've got to do enough testing of it that you can say, I believe this because I believe it. I've thought through it. I've read about it. I've done the, the, the reasoning and the logic and all that. And here's why I believe in God. Not because mommy told me so but because I believe it for these reasons. Now, if you don't reason it out yourself, if you don't have a reason, then there's going to come a day, and probably very soon, uh, after you leave home especially, or maybe when you go off to college, but your faith's going to be shaken. Because if all you've got is grandchild faith, Here's why I believe in God, and here's why I think so and so. And somebody's going to pick on you. Somebody's going to tear that up real quick. So, so you've got to think through it yourself. And I'm talking about the basic things of faith. But as you get older, you'll have to think through everything. In fact, in one sense, you're going to have to redig the wells. But we'll get to that in a minute. Anyhow, you're you're going to have to think through this yourself. 
And Isaac at some point did that. He came into this personal relationship with Jehovah, built an altar, called on the name of the Lord. He wasn't a grandchild anymore. All right, third point. He was a peacemaker. Let's read that passage, and that's a little different from a peacekeeper. Uh, Verse 26, we thought we got away from all the trouble, but verse 26, Meanwhile, Abimelech uh, had come to him from Gerar with Ahuza, his personal advisor, and Phicol. Sounds like a drug, doesn't it? Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, you guys can laugh if you want to anytime. Isaac asked them, why have you come to me? They don't want to, evidently. They didn't think it was funny. Why have you come to me since you were... (laughs) hostile to me, and sent me away. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm. Just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace, and now you're blessed by the Lord. Isaac made a feast for them. They ate and drank, and early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other, Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left in peace. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, and to this day the name of the town has been Bear Sheba. Okay, so here comes Abimelech back again, and he kind of slants history a little bit. He said, we've always been nice to you. I'll ask you to leave, but other than that, we've always been really nice. And... We thought maybe we ought to have a peace treaty here. Well, obviously, Isaac had continued to grow in wealth and power and all that, and Abimelech spotted this and decided, well, we maybe we better see if we can get him to sign a treaty so we won't have to worry about him. And on this one, Isaac kind of pushes back a little bit. Uh, the people that think Isaac was not too... Uh, Manly in some ways, uh, I think this shows he was. Uh, he says to Abimelech and all his representatives in verse uh, 27 there, uh, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? What are you messing with me now for? And Abimelech proposes this treaty where they won't bother each other and they'll get along and all that. Well, there's no reason... For Isaac not to sign that, uh, not to enter into that. So he even adds the kindness of he has a feast for them and everything. Isaac, I don't think he was afraid of confrontation or I don't think he accommodated the pagans or whatever. But it's better to live in peace than at war. You know, and God hadn't told him to get rid of all of them. So he said, okay, I'll make peace. Uh, He's had this trouble before. They've been taking his wells away from him and everything. Why shouldn't he sign a peace treaty? It wasn't against God's will, evidently, uh, or obviously. So he said, okay, I'll make peace with you, and let's have a feast and celebrate and all that. And they signed, and as far as we know, he never had any trouble with them anymore. So... Uh, when there's no reason not to get along with somebody, might as well get along with them. And once again, that's a good 
Christian characteristic is to be a peacemaker. In fact, it made the Beatitudes, if you remember. Uh, Blessed are the peacemakers. And Isaac was one. All right, so believe it or not, that's pretty much the story of Isaac. A couple of other little trivia kind of questions, like the next verse says he uh, married a couple of other women later in his life. Verse 35 is a classic. And these two women, they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. <laughs> no, duh. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> bound to be. But that's one question I got when I get there, by the way, is why, why did all this polygamy go on and why did God put up with that? And what was wrong with those guys back then? Uh, I don't understand all that. Can't explain it. Okay, so... That little chapter right there pretty much tells us all we know about Isaac by himself. Now, next week we're going to talk about his wedding and about his blessing, uh, his two boys, which had all kinds of trouble. Uh, But just functioning by himself in the world with other people, that's about it. Okay, now, let's apply something here, see if we can learn a little something from it. Uh, are, Are you a child of God or a grandchild? I think that'd be an obvious question for anybody uh, hearing this message and thinking about it. Uh, which one are you? We read a, uh, or I read a book not too long ago and was talking to the elders about it at our strat planning time. Uh, the guy that wrote it was writing about all evangelical churches in the country. He thinks they're in trouble and trouble's coming for them. And one of his reasons is his studies say that 70% of teens from evangelical churches leave church after high school. And he said kids have always tended to leave the church for a while in some percentage, but most of them usually came back when they got old enough, got married and settled down, had some kids and all that. They'd come back, get reinvolved. He said now they're not coming back. Only one in three is coming back in the evangelical church world. And so 70% are leaving, and only one in three of them are coming back. And he says that's going to kill the evangelical churches eventually because they're uh, they're bleeding. They're not keeping any uh, of the kids they've raised. Now, uh, in case you're wondering, we that made me wonder. So I asked Toby to count up all the kids that had been through his youth group and do a little estimating on whether they were still uh, around here faithful at Northside or if they were attending church somewhere else or whatever. And we do much better. We are currently doing much better than those numbers. Uh, about 50% of everybody that's ever been through Toby's youth group is still shows up at Northside and is around here and uh, almost 80% or even a little bit more are faithful uh, church attenders somewhere. So we're not much better than what this guy's book said. But the reason I point all that out is I, I think for that to happen, you've got to have a lot of grandchildren. You know, for 70% to leave as soon as they get out of high school and give up on it, they weren't children of God. Well, they were grandchildren. They, they did what their mommy and daddy made them do for as long as they had to, and then they quit. Okay, uh, That's the importance of going from being a child of God to a, to a grandchild. 
Okay, so anyhow, answer that question yourself, however old you are. And uh, it's not just teens. We, we probably got quite a few old grandchildren. You know, just had never thought through it. Maybe, maybe it's worse than a grandchild. Maybe they're a foster child. Maybe they're attached to church or to someone at church or, or something. Well, that works for a while, but as soon as trouble comes, as soon as you have a crisis or whatever, you better be God's child. So you can trust him and get through things. Uh, so anyhow, ask yourself, are you a child of God or a grandchild? And the second application question I thought might be worth thinking about for you is how do we, uh, individually or as the church, how do we have to redig the wells? What do we have to redig? Uh, are there things that we need to think through, talk about, study all the time uh, to kind of redig the wells that our parents and grandparents and uh, John and Peter and Paul and all of them dug? And I'm not going to give you the answer. I want you to think through it some. I'll give you a few little hints that might help you start thinking. Uh, first thing I thought of was what we need to redig the wells on is anything that culture is filling with dirt. Whatever we believe, whatever God says, that our parents and grandparents and people in the first century and everybody understood, if culture's filling that up with dirt right now, then we need to be redigging them. We need to talk about them. And hopefully a lot of my sermons are, are that direction. Uh, kind of what we're doing in the Sunday morning series right now, uh, talking about restoring the home. What are we doing? All we're doing in there is looking at how full of mud that culture has filled this well and trying to dig it out and saying, here's what the Bible says. You know, here's what the culture says about marriage and divorce. Here's what the Bible says. Yeah, but to me, that's redigging wells. We're we're opening them up. We're learning what what God intended on them. Uh, of course, we need to rebuild the, or redig uh, the gospel all the time. Culture tries to change that. Uh, teaching on the church, all of that. A lot of things we need to be redigging and talking about all the time, uh, so that those wells stay fresh and. Uh, our children growing up can learn and become really God's child and, and all of that. Uh, I think that's the kind of stuff we ought to preach on. I see every once in a while, some, saw the other day, some, I can't remember who it was, was having a lectureship on the minor prophets. Uh, and I thought, well, that'd be kind of interesting for a scholar, I guess, but, I don't think I'll ever preach to you about the minor prophets. You know, I might use one as an illustration sometime or something. But to do a huge long series about the minor prophets, I don't know how you can take that home and do much with it. I mean, I know there's some good lessons in there. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to cut it out of the Bible. I'm just saying, (laughs) as fast as culture is filling up our wells, we've got plenty to talk about that we need to continually be working on so we can uh, apply the right thing in our lives. So uh, think about that one a little bit. What do we ought to be redigging the wells on? All right, that's what I've got for you tonight. Next week we'll talk about uh, the wedding of Rebecca and Isaac and how that got arranged. 
and uh, think about whether you would like to have an arranged marriage. So you can be thinking about that this week. Have any other uh, thoughts? We'll get to them next week. Uh, That's your lesson for the night. Uh, We pray that uh, it's been helpful. And if you're here and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we're going to stand and sing a song and let you come to the front. Whatever public needs you have, come. Let's stand.